Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs, and this is Talking Manhattan, Johnny. We haven't been here in a while. It's so good to be back, and we got the one and the only, the great Ari Harkov um, joining us today uh, from Brown Howard Stevens. And, you know, Ari, when was the last time you were on? About a year ago? Year and a half? Uh, Time flies. Probably a year, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Every time the market shifts... (laughs) We bring we bring Ari back on. <laughs> this is the first thing to say. All right, let's just start with him, and it'll make every every other guest easier. So, thank you for joining us, Ari. And let's just get right to it. The market has undergone a big shift from Q2 to Q3. Please do us a favor and tell all of our listeners what you are seeing in the streets, boots on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, so. From the beginning of 2022, January through about, I think it was late-ish May, we were essentially kind of peak market, both in terms of liquidity, activity level, demand, and we were starting to see, you know, inclinations of rising pricing, and there was maybe the sense of, okay, New York City is going to finally catch up with the, the price appreciation and growth that so many other U.S. housing markets had experienced from the start of COVID until, you know, the middle of 2022. Um, you know, it really felt like um, almost like the heyday of 2013 to 2015 in terms of like the vibe and the energy in the market. Um, and then towards the end of May, I believe it was in early June, inflation numbers came out, rates started to shift and the whole equation kind of changed. Um, and it felt for probably about a month or so period, like we were almost ripping the bandaid off. Like we were going to go, as you guys have said in your podcast many times, we were going from 90 to 60, but rather than going from like 90 to 85 to 80 to 75, it was like someone just hit the brakes and we went from 90 to 60 like that. Um, and the market really felt like it was shifting in a way that I think is probably the most healthy, which is like, let's rip the bandaid off. Um, demand slowing down, liquidity is slowing down, prices are kind of flattening, um, but it wasn't that kind of like slow, gradual bleed. Um, and then the market seemed to stabilize. We got into the summer, you know, July and then August, and it felt like, you know, to use some of the words that you guys have used in your recent podcasts, it felt like, you know, we were back to kind of normal seasonality and kind of normal demand levels. And then as we got obviously into the post-Labor Day market and even more so in the past week or two, I think the market is experiencing another shift as rates have risen further. Um, You know, the Russia-Ukraine mess gets worse. You know, the stock market is in bear territory and other kind of macro indicators um, are pushing us towards what appears to be, you know, the next tier of the shift. Um, But I'll be honest, like the, the, the shift that we're experiencing in our market is actually slower and more gradual than I would expect based on what's mm-hmm. happening on a macro level. Um, so that's my, my summation. Right. And so, so let me dig into that a little bit, Ari, and, and talk about sort of the mindset of buyers and sellers, because I think I completely agree with you. We've sort of slowed mm-hmm. down to typical seasonal levels, but for sellers, I mean, it did feel like we slammed on the brakes and they basically hit that windshield. Whereas buyers had the airbag coming out and they kind of cushioned it, right? They didn't see those mm-hmm. prices fall immediately. We're starting to see some declines as we start comparing current quarters to year ago quarters, we'll probably see some of those price declines into the new years. We're comparing peak quarters to current quarters. So for buyers, this deceleration has been a lot slower than it's felt like for sellers. And I'm curious if you can kind of pinpoint what that mindset is on both sides today. 
Sure. So I think, um, you know, we always say in shifting markets that, you know, sellers want to sell into the past market when things are obviously declining um, and buyers want to pay next year's prices. So, you know, my seller wants to sell you their apartment at May pricing and my buyer would like to buy your apartment at May 2023 pricing. Um, and that disconnect creates somewhat of a stalemate in the market, which effectively pushes prices lower because obviously it reduces demand. Um, you know, the, the rate conversation has obviously become paramount for any buyer, even those who are paying cash because they're looking at the impact of rates on asset pricing across the board. Um, and, you know, the, the general sense and kind of tenor in the market is that we're moving into some sort of recession or recessionary like period. Um, and the question is, what is that impact on our market and how does that impact demand, pricing, supply, what have you? And I think to your point, and I want to highlight this. You know, I think buyers today right now are expecting a significantly softer market than they're actually experiencing. And that disconnect is um, uh, creates a weird environment. You know, um, it's sort of like I'm reading the news. I'm seeing everything. I'm expecting prices to decline and I'm expecting, you know, sellers to be listing like crazy. But neither of those two things are really happening yet. Yeah, I, yes, I, I don't think sellers want to list in this kind of market. They tend to they tend to back off when we have shifts down, and I think that confuses buyers. Um, and and you know what? Um, all the deals that we're doing in the last few weeks, like today's market, um, that's booked already. By the way, I'll say like that's booked. That's written in stone. We're just gonna have to wait. We're not gonna get that data till Q one of mm -hmm. next year. So that's like April. So. You know, if the if the reports actually do come out in the future of Q1 that we are down, we're defining today's actual marketplace, and I think a lot of buyers don't um, realize that that if we staircase down, like we were at this high level and we just stepped down a couple, and now we're at a new lower level, we either go three ways from here, right, Ari? We either go up, we either stay at this new level, or we go down. And you made a comment that you fear that we might be having another wave down right now. Is that correct? So I, I, I almost break, break down what down means into kind of three segments. So there's liquidity, transaction volume, how many properties are trading. There's pricing, you know, what's happening with the, the, the value of those assets. Is that going up, down, or is it stable? And then there's the qualitative piece of like, can I get a contingency? Can I take more time? Can I visit the property again? Can I spend you know, 20 minutes there on my own versus visiting it when 40 other people are in an open house? Um, you know, can I really think through my decision? I would think of like those as the three tiers. Um, so it's pretty clear, and you guys have obviously you know, shown this in your evidence, that from a volume perspective, we have fallen off of the sugar highs of late 2021 and early 2022, and we're back to kind of seasonal normal levels. Um, and if things decline further, we may fall below seasonal averages as to your point, less sellers will list. And um, if rates remain high, less buyers may buy. Um, the qualitative piece is already there, meaning buyers can take more time. Sure, there are occasional bidding wars, but for the most part, those are at the market. Um, and the experience of buying, I think is a more positive thoughtful and intentional experience than it was, let's say, you know, six to 12 months ago. And then in terms of the pricing piece, that's the piece that's the big question mark. You know, are we going to kind of flatten out or sellers going to refuse to trade below certain levels? Are you going to start to see some sellers kind of have to trade? Um, you know, are prices going to come down? 
And my argument would be, no, they won't really come down because they never really rose in a substantial way as compared to other housing markets. On the one hand, on the other hand, they might come down because the macro environment is such that they almost have to if sellers want to find a buyer. Um, so those are like the three tiers that I think about as a broker. So, so what's moving? I mean, because I'm looking at, I'm looking at deal pace over 30 day volume and I'm, I'm a little worried um, because we're supposed to hit around 950, just below a thousand in October. And, and we're, we're in the 600s and we're struggling to get over out of that. So I have a feeling that this is going to come in light. Um, so we might actually be literally be in the process of another staircase down. I'm just curious, are you seeing certain sectors move um, more easily than others? So I think what you're experiencing here, what I'm seeing at least, is what you see in most shifting markets, which is super prime locations, really desirable properties. It's sort of like stating the obvious, but obviously well-priced properties um, are the ones that transact in any market. You know, the few bidding wars that our team has seen in the past couple of weeks are, you know, those really kind of special, unique, well-priced, really well-positioned properties. What's not moving is more kind of like the run of the mill cookie cutter property. All the overpriced inventory is for sure not moving. Um, and I think that any pocket of the market where the demographic and the submarket of buyers is very rate sensitive is a market that is um, really struggling right now. So the more cash heavy, um, the more affluent the buyer pool is, the more likely the property is to move until you get to a certain tier where you're getting to, you know, very ultra luxury and those people don't buy in, in markets like this for the most part. Right. And let's and let's talk about those different markets and talk about people who are on the fence. You know, if you're if you're a buyer and perhaps you're more rate sensitive, one of the alternatives is renting. And with rents, with the pace that they've been on sort of, you know, eye popping uh, increases, even as the vacancy rate sort of declines, we're starting to see some of these early early rental rates start ticking down. I'm curious, if, looking at the rental market from your perspective. What, what's that what's that market look like right now? Are investors looking to rent out more units? Are buyers considering that instead of buying? Or are prospective renters thinking about purchasing, you know, given the current market dynamics? So um, we have a, a big leasing arm on our team, just to give some context. You know, we do a lot of yeah. uh, leasing activity. Um, and what we're seeing, so the, the summer market we saw was like no leasing market I think I've ever seen in my career. It was just unbelievable um, on a pricing level, on an activity level, on a pace level is just extraordinary. Um, we are now slowly starting to come off of that. Part of that is normal seasonality that would happen, you know, on whatever it is, October 11th, you know, in any market. Um, and part of that is driven by shifting dynamics in the market overall. We haven't yet seen that impact the sales market, meaning I'm not yet seeing tenants who would have rented, but are now saying, well, let's take advantage of a softening sales market and let's buy. Um, I think that may come, but I don't think it's happening yet. Um, but what we are seeing is tenants overall being more selective, being more choosy, taking more time, um, and overall less this kind of less feverish pace of activity. And I was talking to one of our leasing guys yesterday. Um, we have an application out on a, on a unit that we're leasing and you know, the landlord really wanted us to push, you know, get it back. Let's get it signed by 5 p.m. today. And he was kind of like, 
I, I can't, like, I don't have that leverage. You know, if right. this was August 11th, I had that leverage, like sign up by 5 p.m. today, we're just going to go to the next people, but we don't have that today. So I think you're just starting to like crest that mountaintop from a right. rental perspective and the market's slowly starting to come down. But we also have to remember it's coming down from an unbelievable high um, and it's being somewhat bolstered by the fact that there are still folks who would otherwise buy who with five, six, seven percent interest rates are not buying and they're kind of supporting the floor of the rental market. Right. And that rental market has been an absolute roller coaster. And you're right. It was at unbelievable highs and it started from unbelievable lows. I mean, we saw the rents drop roughly 30 or so percent from COVID. And at that bottom, right? I mean, it was just concessions, you know, free months, you know, free parking, free gym, you know, all this, all this stuff bundled in to sort of make that lease rate more palpable. And I'm wondering, are you seeing any of those concessions creep back into the market, even if at a very slow pace? So the one thing that you'll see is certain landlords, particularly larger landlords who like to maintain certain gross rents on their books, if they underwrote built into their pro forma, particularly over the summer, certain gross rents, and the market today is not supporting those gross rents, they will increase the concessions, the free months to maintain the gross, even if the net falls below. Um, so that we are starting to see a little bit more of. Um, what we're not seeing is that next tier of, and we're going to pay your broker too, and we're going to you know pay for the Equinox for the next year, and we're going right. to offer all these other sort of um, uh, you know peripheral uh, concessions. That's not really happening yet, at least not what we're seeing. Yeah, and I mean, look, the, the rental market, the situational awareness you have to be um, cognizant of because I mean we did come from a very different place um, over a, over a, a one year period in that rental market and I mean I gotta think that the rental market is in some way containing this sales market decline um, at least giving sellers an out to consider say oh you know what I can't get my price I'll just go ahead and rent it um, but what about those sellers that can't rent you know and they have to sell um, and they're probably anchored to deals pre-shift in Q1 and Q2, and they saw similar sales in their building at very good levels. And and I, I, like you said, I want I want you know May 2022 um, listing prices and sales prices. Uh, how do you handle the delicate nature of that price reduction conversation and, and any strategies that are that are working? <laughs> Uh, I've been trying to figure that out for the past 15 years now. Um, no, I mean, it's look, so I think uh, the challenge with our market, and you guys said it, but I think to put a point on it for anybody who's listening, so closed sales data is two to three months you know, behind, and contract signed data is probably two to three weeks behind. And so the, the very nature of any data on any kind of statistically significant level in our market is that you're always backward looking. So it's very difficult with a seller to say, well, you know, I saw so-and-so in my building sold for X in June. I want X now in October. Nothing's traded in my building. So why wouldn't I get X? And you tell them, well, this is happening in the market, rates, this, that, what have you. And it's sort of like, yeah, but show me the numbers, show me the data. And you really can't show them the numbers of the data because it doesn't really fully exist yet. Um, so I think that, you know, there are a couple of ways to deal with it. One is simply let the market speak. Uh, the market will speak. You come on the market at the wrong price. 
you see what's happening and you see, you know, kind of your traffic level, your interest level offers or lack thereof, um, and, and the market will tell you something. Um, I think we look for the limited data that we do have and, and you know, to toot your guys' horns, I mean, we use Urban Digs data, we use data to be able to show people like, you know, this is what's happening on a contract sign level, which is the closest we can get to at least giving a sense of activity level. Um, you know, we have a fairly large team. So we have kind of our own open house data, but I know that, you know, on an industry wide level, you know, open house metrics are an imperfect metric, but they are helpful nevertheless mm -hmm. to be able to say, hey, we did 10 open houses last week as a team and here was our average attendance and you were here. Um, or on an industry wide level, there were, you know, 200 reported open houses, the average attendance was five people and we got zero or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, it's basically they have to confront reality. Um, and for brokers, you want to find clients, um, not in a manipulative way, but you want to find clients who are motivated to transact, because I think sellers who are not particularly motivated in a market like this will end up testing the market and then coming off and you'll have wasted several months of, of work. Yeah. And so that's, that's on the seller side. And, you know, last question, I mean, we're talking about a shifting market and you, you absolutely nailed it, which is, you know, we're dealing with lagging data and because of that there's a there's a widening spread right sellers are looking at you know prices from april may buyers are looking at prices for next april may and i'm curious we just talked about the seller side on that buyer side that it's really a, a market of different perceptions and, and how do you how do you address the buyer perceptions in this market are there any strategies you're using to communicate with your your current buyers more effectively so there are a couple of ways that we think about it i mean one is Everybody's got to live somewhere. So if you're not going to buy that apartment, you're not going to buy an apartment or a townhouse, whatever the case may be, you're going to live somewhere. So what a lot of folks are obviously doing is comparing, you know, whatever. I want a two-bedroom in Gramercy. I can pay X price here to buy one, or I can pay Y price to rent one. I've got to, I've got to live somewhere. Um, so what's my alternative? And because the rental market has still been so strong on a relative basis, um, in some cases, the purchase scenario still makes more sense. Um, we try to counsel people and they don't always get it for, for folks who aren't in the industry that I don't want to say mortgage rates don't matter because they do matter, but they really don't matter in the sense that, you know, you're, 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 mar you're marrying the property, you're dating the rate, you know, you're going to refi that loan anyway. Um, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who's kept a loan for more than like five years in the past, you know, decade or two in New York City. People refinance all the time. Um, and so are your payments going to be a little bit higher for the next couple of years, potentially? Yeah, they may be. How many years? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but if you can afford it and if the math makes sense and you want the property, let's say you're paying an extra, I don't know, make up a number, 500 bucks a month. That's, you know, $6,000 a year. You do it for three years, it's $18,000 on a relative basis. It's small dollars compared to the property if you want the property. Um, you know, and then the other piece of it is, and, and Noah, you hit the nail on the head and we always remind buyers this, in softening markets, in some markets that are as affluent, um, where the wealth is as deep as it is in New York City, sellers don't sell in soft markets. They simply pull their properties off the market and they wait. So the inventory levels drop in a place like New York City. This isn't a spec home market. You know, we're not out, um, you know, 30 miles out of Vegas in the desert where someone built 300 homes they have to sell. That's not the case in Manhattan or Brooklyn. Um, and so what you're likely to see is a lower inventory environment. Um, if you can find what you want in that environment, great. But if you can't, um, or you maybe have to pay a little bit more than you want, you have to make that judgment call as to whether it's worth it. Um, as opposed to kind of renting, you know, paying your landlord's mortgage for the next couple of years and then buying if and when maybe, you know, inventory levels come back.
Um, so yeah. we think about it kind of from those those different angles, but ultimately, you know, if you're if you're paying a reasonably good market price and you're holding for at least five years, um, you tend to do well in New York City real estate in the long run. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this 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 rate situation, it's all about that terminal fed funds rate. And Johnny, I think that terminal fed funds rate is is supposed to get to about four point six, four point seven, around April of next year. That's the current expectation. It's all about that curve and that expectation. And, and we just keep going through reset higher, reset higher, reset higher of these expectations. And that is why we are having this rocky shift higher in mortgage rates. And that's why the Fed's basically doing a little controlled demolition um, to combat this inflation. Um, and look, you know what? If I'm a buyer right now, you got to think creatively, Ari. You got to think creatively. I, I would talk to your lender and I would find out um, how much it would cost to bring that rate down to a, a level that you might be comfortable with, mm -hmm. two points, three points. I don't know what's going on with those markets and see what that cost is on a million dollar property or whatever you're buying and see if you can bundle that negotiating strategy. Maybe the seller pays that interest rate buy down by points as a concession to make the deal work at a number that's more palatable to the seller mm -hmm. versus saying a, a pure, um, oh, interest rates went up this, so your price should come down this. It, it's never that one-to-one -one in this kind of a market. And, and sellers don't play ball that way. So if the transaction is going to happen, you have to do it in a different way. Um, great insights. John, any final questions for Ari? No, awesome. Ari, this was tremendous. Thank you very much. Yeah. This, I would add, by the way, Noah, on that interest rate piece, we see a lot of people now starting to consider interest-only loans as well. You know, take the lower payment, lock yourself into a lower monthly number, and then down the road, if, you, if you're in a bonus-driven environment or you are a commission-driven person or you, you know, are going to refi, whatever the case may be, you know, yeah. you'll pay it down, you know, as you can or in the future. But if the, if the high-level kind of like fixed monthly number is the driver in your motivating factor um, in making a purchase decision, take an interest only, buy it down for a point or two, ride that out for a year or two, and the market's going to have to shift. You know, it always does. Yeah, I guess the only thing that we have to worry about, Ari, is, is if that that rate, the Fed funds rate stays higher and, and goes deeper and higher and stays up there longer than everyone, anyone thinks. And, and you know, we, we're not going to know that until um, next year anyway. So there's no reason to harp on it. Um, we'll just see how it all plays out. Um, yes, sir. Ari Harkov from Brown Harris Stevens. Thank you so much for spending time with us, telling us what's going on in the Manhattan markets. That is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We are both from Urban Digs. This has been Talk Manhattan. And we'll catch you next time.